Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I want you to imagine, just um, get a mental picture of waking up tomorrow morning and life just works. Everything is bang on as it should be. So you wake up and uh, you, you spring to life. You don't have like the little bed bugs in your eyes. It's not like a groggy first hour. And immediately you're full of joy. You're full of purpose. You get what your day's about. You get what your life is about. And there's meaning. There's, uh, there, there's no angst. There's no like, oh, what's going on here? What's that all about? It just all works. And that's true even before your first cup of coffee. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine it in your relationships that they just live up to the hype. You know, the, the hype you build up when there's someone who uh, you want to get to know and you think this is going to be great until you actually get to know them. Uh, and then, uh, then it's about all right. That's why we're doing a marriage course. But <laughs> imagine your relationships just lived up to everything you'd built up and it just fulfilled you. And imagine your friendships were, were truly deep, truly life-giving. Your friends never, ever, ever cancel on you. They always message you back straight away. They, they get what's going on. They're just there for you. And imagine your work life and it doesn't feel like drudgerous routine. It's not just going through the motions of the same things. It's not even got those little bits in your job. If you've got the best of jobs, there's always the little bits, aren't there? It's just like, I've just got to do this because it's part of the job. Imagine that wasn't there and it was all challenging and interesting and uh, you got how it made a difference and you came home every day fulfilled. And imagine your study, the things you're learning, they actually matter, they're actually interesting. Your lecturers are not just out waffling into space and you're drifting away, but they're saying things that fill your head and your heart and make you come alive. And imagine the nights out that are just fun and don't have any of the, the sleazy rubbish associated with it, don't have any of the brokenness, don't fade, don't tire, you're just living this amazing life where the highs stay high and the lows don't come. Can you imagine that? That'd be great, wouldn't it? That would be fantastic. And that's really the story of Ecclesiastes. That's a, a book that we're looking at in the Bible at the moment. And it's telling the story of somebody who's looking for that, who's looking for life to just work, to click, to make sense. And he's looking into all different things that he can give his time to, give his heart to, thinking, if I go after this, Maybe life will be worthwhile. Maybe I'll be happy. Maybe I'll find purpose and meaning for my life. This is the book to read if you want to know where you can look to find joy and purpose and meaning in your life. And the protagonist of this book is a guy called Solomon. And Solomon was the most successful of all the kings of ancient Israel. He had a big kingdom. He was incredibly, ridiculously wealthy. He was known as the wealthiest of kings, the wisest of kings. He had people from all different nations come just to visit and gawk on this kingdom that he had built and its magnificence. And this book is him reflecting on his life and on the things that he's built and all that he's done and trying to work out, can I find joy from all this that I've done? And then he does some tests. He does little experiments. What if I go after this? What if I go after the other thing? Will that make me happy? 
And what he finds is probably the same as what many of us have found when we've tried to do that, when we've tried to find these things in life. And what he found is this, the things that we think will satisfy us probably won't. The things we think are going to make us happy at that deep level often don't live up to the hype that we've built them up to. Things like money, things like power, things like success, the things we throw ourselves into thinking, if only I had this, then life would be fine, then I'd be happy. They actually don't deliver. I'll give you a few stories to to show this in action. Does anyone know who Jane Park is? Yes, you know Jane Park. She won the lottery when she was like 18. She did. That is amazing. Sorry, I just read You know my story. (laughs) So basically, so Jane Park won the lottery when she was like 18 and she was miserable. (laughs) Um, She's actually the youngest ever winner of Euromillions and she sued them um, for letting her win their lottery. And there was a news report about it. Here's what it said. Park who won Euromillions in 2013, splashed out on breast implants, two properties, and a chihuahua. So I don't know if you won the lottery and were going after the meaningful life, but um, I don't know what you'd buy. That's what she bought. And she admitted that she struggles to find purpose in life. She said, I thought it would make it 10 times better, but it's made it 10 times worse. I wish I had no money most days. I say to myself, my life would be so much easier if I hadn't won. People look at me and think, oh, I wish I had her lifestyle. I wish I had her money. But they don't realise the extent of my stress. I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. What is my purpose in life? Another one, Jack Higgins. Anyone know who Jack Higgins is? Okay, well, back in the 70s, Jack Higgins was a best-selling author. He wrote a book called The Eagle Has Landed, uh, probably the best-selling book of that decade, sold over 50 million copies worldwide. So, hugely successful author. He was being interviewed later in life, and someone asked him, what is the one thing you wish you'd known when you were younger? And his answer was this, I wish someone had told me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. And then the third one, Boris Becker, 1980s tennis sensation. He's the youngest ever winner of the men's singles at Wimbledon, and he became a megastar. He had money, he had admiration, he had success. And he said, I'd won Wimbledon twice before. Once as the youngest player, I was rich, I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, yet they're so unhappy. I had... No inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. And I could keep giving more examples. There's so many of these people who've made it, who've lived the dream, who've got the things that so many of us are after, and they'll give this testimony. It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy the deep cravings that I have within. Why is it so elusive? Why is finding joy and purpose and meaning in life such a difficult thing? Well, the great African theologian, Augustine, he, he's got a, a pointer in the right direction. He says this famous quote. You see this on coffee cups and on people's walls all over the place. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That restlessness that he's describing, that's the same as what Boris Becker and Jack Higgins and Jane Park and Solomon and maybe so many of us have experienced. It rings true, doesn't it? I'm sure we can all identify with it in some 
way. And so Solomon is going to try and find something that can settle that restlessness, that can satiate those longings. And that's Ecclesiastes. So today we're in chapter two, and it might help you if you've got a Bible to to have it open as we're going through it, uh, and you'll be able to follow along. As I read it, it should be on the screen as well, um, but it's probably worth having open to refer to. So I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter two. I said to myself, come now, I'll make a test of pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Again, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my mind how to cheer my body with wine, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly until I might see what was good for mortals to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who'd been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delights of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I'd spent in doing it, and again, all was vanity, and I chased it after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So this is a series of tests that he did, all broadly themed around pleasure. He said, if I go after the the hedonistic dream life, can I find something that will satisfy me there? And he he goes after it in a really big way. I mean, he makes Hugh Hefner look like a nun, does Solomon. (laughs) And his constant refrain is, it doesn't work. It's all vanity. It's chasing after the wind. It doesn't satisfy the soul. Now, I suspect, I know some of you just looking around the room, I suspect most of us in this room haven't gone to the same lengths that Solomon describes here. If you have, we've got prayer ministry and counselling for you (laughs) later. But I do suspect that most of us probably to some degree or another have pushed at this door, looking at the pleasure life, the hedonistic life as a way to try and find satisfaction. And I expect that if you have, then you've found the same thing that I found, that Solomon's found, that many others have found. This stuff can't bring you lasting satisfaction. Starts in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, I'm going to do a test of laughter. I'm going to go after being the joker of the pack, being the one out of uh, the group of friends who's always got a little witty comment, who can always just make uh, a comment that will make everyone laugh. And I can think of loads of people who love to play this role in a friendship group. And I I know many, uh, deep down, aren't happy, aren't satisfied. You get the the cliche, don't you, about the, the comedian who's the life and soul of the room, but then when they go home, they're sad and broken and miserable. That's Solomon 
here. So it's okay, laughter might not work. So what should we try next? Verse three, let's try alcohol. Let's try, um, let's try booze. See if that provides satisfaction. I love how he says this. He says, um, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom. So I'm going after alcohol, but I'm thinking about it. I'm being clever. So I, I'm thinking he's like the connoisseur. I'm thinking he's like the, like the fine wines and the imported Irish whiskeys. I've got a friend who, when I go for a beer with him, will only ever order beers that I've never heard of. Uh, and if it's a brewery that I've heard of, it's way too mainstream for him. Uh, and he just won't drink it. Maybe Solomon was like that. Always going for like the, the, the finest of the alcohol. But then he says, and how to lay hold of folly. So, okay, that didn't work for me. Right, I'll try it in a different way. I'm just going to get smashed. I'm going to see if that makes me happy as well. And does it provide him lasting pleasure and meaning? The answer is, of course, no. It might seem to in the moment, but anyone who's ever nursed a hangover knows that the joys that it provides don't last. And when you lean too hard into this as where you're looking for meaning and purpose in life, it can cause even more trouble. There's a, a Chinese proverb, first man takes a drink, and then drink takes the man. This stuff, when you lean into it for meaning and purpose in life, can really be destructive. So then he tries, verse 4, we're on to affluence. He talks about all the stuff that he had. And the list of it was quite something, wasn't it? So he talks about great works and houses, plural. So uh, not just a house, but he had many houses. And vineyards, plural. I mean, imagine how cool it would be to own your own vineyard. And I said, I have several vineyards, gardens and parks. Now, many of us would like the idea of having a garden, but imagine having a park at the back of your house, and then imagine having loads of them that were just yours to do what you want with. He had pools. Again, a swimming pool would be great, wouldn't it? He has, he has loads of them. He's got, like, basically his own water park that's just for him to enjoy, um, and trees, uh, and slaves. And he's a bit kind of coy on how many slaves. He just said, I had some male and female slaves and some slaves who were born in my house. But in Chronicles, which is another book of the Bible, we're told that he actually had 150,000 slaves, which is quite the workforce, isn't it, to have to do your bidding and whatever you want. He had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any before him in Jerusalem, and silver and gold and the treasures of kings and the treasures of provinces. So basically, in summary, he was rich, like really, really rich. I used to have a flatmate who was a salesman for a luxury goods company. And he'd tell me about some of the contracts that they'd get, having to uh, find some specialist items for people who were loaded. And one time, he, his company got this contract to work at a, a Middle Eastern royal wedding. And they got sourced to provide wedding favours for this. And there, there were thousands of guests. And he told me the budget he'd got to find wedding favours for this wedding was 50 grand per head. <laughs> That's rich, right? Solomon's on that kind of league of wealth. He had it all. And he leaned into his money. He tried to look to it to really um, find the happy life. And like Jane Park and many others, he found doesn't work. It doesn't make him happy. Jim Carrey said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This doesn't work. So then he goes on um, 
in his list of experiments. The next thing he tried is singers. He got uh, both male and female singers. And now you might be thinking, hang on, that's a weird one to put on the list. What's the big deal with singers? I mean, it's, it's nice, isn't it, if you've got some musicians you can call upon. But really what he's getting at in saying I had singers who worked for me is I was able to throw parties. Because for a good party, you need good music. Back in those days, you couldn't just like whack on a Spotify playlist. If you wanted to put on music to have a party, you needed musicians and singers that you could call upon. So he had this whole squad of singers so that he could throw the best parties. And history records that he would frequently throw parties for up to 10,000 people at a time. He was the one who always knew the party. Now, you probably, uh, if you're at union now or when you were at uni, you probably know someone in your halls who was the connected party person, who would always know where the best party was. That was Solomon. And again, it didn't satisfy him. And then finally, verse 8 again, he's talking about the delights of the flesh and the many concubines that he had. So uh, he's seen if sex will satisfy him. And again, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Uh, that is a lot. Uh, it, like, it's like he got Tinder and rather than just like looking through and thinking, right, who am I actually into? Maybe occasionally I'll swear. Sorry, salt. That's what I should be talking about, isn't it? <laughs> but he's just saying, like, bring all of them. I'll, I'll just like have everybody. Uh, I want as many as I possibly can. I've got no idea how he made his life work. Like planning one wedding is stressful enough, isn't it? But three hundred wives and seven hundred concubines. That's how um, how he threw himself into it. I don't know, if, did you ever do this at school, right? In one of my lessons, they did this thought experiment where they'd describe a hypothetical situation, like you're walking through a forest and this thing happens and write down what you do and that's your attitude to this. And then you come across a wall, what do you do when you come to the wall? And then there's a lake, you dive into the lake. We had to write down our response. And then they told us that psychologically, this revealed things about us. And one of them was like, how you deal with facing illness. And another one was like, what's your attitude to sex and when you've got a group of year eight kids that's a bit of a weird thing to do um, but the, what you do when you dive into the lake was apparently your attitude to sex and it's like Solomon just is like yeah I'm just jumping straight in there I'm going after it as much as I can in fact in verse 10 he says whatever my eyes desired I didn't keep from them I kept my heart from no pleasure so he's really gone after this hedonistic lifestyle he's a man who had more money than Elon Musk, more creativity than Walt Disney, more intelligence than Kevin from Eggheads, more power <laughs> than Joe Biden, and more parties than Charlie Sheen, more followers than the Kardashians, and more women than Harry Styles and Ryan Gosling put together. <laughs> he had it all. But what did he learn from this experiment that he did, throwing himself at every pleasure that he could imagine? Well, his conclusion is in verse 11. And he said, I considered all that my hands had done, the toil I'd spent in doing it, and again, all was vanity and chasing after the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Maybe you can think of 
uh, a story that Jesus told. Some of you will be familiar with it about the prodigal son. So this was a young lad who said to his dad, I want the inheritance now and I'm going to go to a foreign land. I'm going to find something uh, that just makes me happy. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to spend all the money. I'm going to uh, have parties. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to drink. I'm going to sleep around. I'm going to do everything that I'm told will make me happy. And where did he end up? More miserable than ever. Nothing to eat and jealous of the pigs for what they were eating. He ended up way more miserable than before. He couldn't find the happiness that he was after. Russell Brand knows this. He, he told a story about himself. He said, I thought it would be good to be rich and famous. It would be good to have stuff. It would be good to have money and be invited to the party. Well, I've been invited and I've been in. I've seen the other side of the looking glass and it ain't flipping worth it. Now, he didn't say flipping, but we're in church. So I feel like I probably should. So, it ain't flipping worth it. It doesn't feed your soul. I still feel empty inside. That's the same as what Solomon said, isn't it? It's all a vanity. It's all a striving after the wind. And there's nothing to be gained under the sun. So this has been cheerful, hasn't it? Like I started by getting you to imagine this life where it all works. And now I've just told you how it all just doesn't. And all of the things that we'd look to to get that can't take us there. So... Is it just a pipe dream? Is it just something that's elusive that we can never experience the joy of? Well, no. And Solomon gives us a clue. In that very last thing he says, the key phrase, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That phrase under the sun is the key one in this whole passage. Imagine like the world and imagine like there's a veil over it. Like we're kind of a self-contained thing. This life is all there is. Within all that we might push at, all that we might look at in this world, there's not the keys to finding the satisfaction in our soul. And so he's hinting that maybe we need to transcend this world. Maybe we need something beyond this world, something above the sun to find the satisfaction that we crave. Pascal was a 17th century French philosopher. Uh, and he said, what else does this craving and helplessness proclaim? but that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase God-shaped hole. That's what Pascal's talking about. He's saying the thing that we're trying to satisfy deep inside us, that hole is God-shaped. So when we're looking to, to pleasure and laughter and wealth and alcohol and whatever Solomon's looking to, when we're looking to that to fill this God-shaped hole, it can't do it. It's not got the key to the lock. It's God who can fulfill this God-shaped hole. It's only in God that true pleasure can be found. Later in Ecclesiastes, it says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. So those are the things that he's looking at. They're not necessarily bad things at all. It's just that they're not the answer. God is the answer. We were created not for the fleeting and ultimately underwhelming pleasures of this world. We were made for eternal joy in God himself. You know what I noticed when I was studying this? In the, in the 11 verses that I read, Solomon uses the word I 18 times. 
that's a lot. I got this. I went after this. I did this. I, I, I. And he concludes it's all vanity. Isn't that telling? True meaning and joy aren't found in I. They're found in God, who he doesn't mention in those verses at all. Now, the writers of the Psalms have a totally different perspective to Solomon's. Let me give you some examples. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that what Solomon was trying to find? He was just looking in the wrong places. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Or Psalm 63, verse 3, which says, your steadfast love is better than life. Or Psalm 73, who have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or Psalm 4, you've put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. Solomon was looking at the grain and the wine, but the pleasure, the true pleasure, comes from God. You see, Solomon looked at everything under the sun and found it was all vanity. But the psalmist looked at everything above the sun and they found everything. They found the eternal joy that Solomon couldn't find. Back to that prodigal son who found misery as he went chasing the pleasure life. When did he find joy? It says he came home to the father and he was swept up in the joy of the father accepting him home. And this is the gospel. The father is waiting and he sent his son Jesus to bring you home. So if you think about that veil over the earth, it'd be quite a hard thing, wouldn't it, to say, to find any satisfaction in life, you need to somehow escalate yourself and transcend yourself up above all that's in the world. But thankfully, that's not it. He's come down from the heavenly places. He came into our world. He's drawn near to us. And in knowing him, we can find meaning and purpose. I wonder where you are in the story. I wonder if you're like Solomon, chasing after the wind, or whether you've come home to the Father. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. It says in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Here's how I like to think of it. Think of it like a solar system. At the centre of the solar system, there's a star. And if that star's in place, everything else finds its place in orbit around it. Think of Jesus like that in life. Once he's in place, all these other things, the possessions that we have, the relationships that we have, uh, the, the things we do, they all find their place, our work, our wisdom, whatever it might be. Because he's at the centre, there's good in all of them. But if you take that star out of place, everything else spirals out of orbit. They can't hold their place when we try to put them central. He's got to be our greatest love, our highest joy and our most passionate pursuit. And then everything else will find its place. You know, Solomon was not an atheist. Solomon believed in God. It's just that for him, God wasn't like the sun that was at the centre of everything. It never won his heart. It was more like the moon, kind of controls the tides of life, but was just out there. And that's why he threw himself at one vanity after another. Don't make the same mistake as Solomon. Don't give your life to lesser, futile pleasures. 
Find your rest in Jesus. Find your security, your joy, your love in him. And when you do, you'll find meaning in your life that's eternal, steadfast, and worth living for. Have in mind this, that God is with us. The Holy Spirit is here. This meaning and purpose in life that Solomon found so elusive, it's not a long way from us because he has come and he sent his spirit. And so right now we can meet with him and we can find everything that our souls crave for.